Okay, so this week's Parsha, Parsha's Chaye Sarah. We all, I hope most of us will are familiar with the beginning of the Parsha, how it begins with the death of Sarah. So the first Pasuk, it says, Sarah, the day, Sarah, I'll just read it in English, Sarah's lifetime was 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. The years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiryath Arba, which is Hebron, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And then Avram came to eulogize Sarah and bewail her. Okay? So Rashi right away, the commentary at the bottom, Rashi right away um, tells us a little hint. Interestingly, he, he throws it in in the second verse, not in the first verse right away. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But in the second verse, in the words of Lispite Sarah of Kaiser, Rashi says, Nismacha Misa Sarah La Kedas Yitzchak. The Torah um, juxtaposes the story of the Akeda, last week's, the end of last week's Varsha, with the beginning of this week's Varsha, Sarah's death. Why is that? Tell us that the Satan came to Sarah and told her, you know what happened to your son? You know, your husband, <laughs> husbands, right? No, your husband took him to get sacrificed on the Mizbeach, on the altar. And before he finished the story, that 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 they switched Yitzchak in for a ram, and Yitzchak actually got saved. Before that happened, she had a heart attack of some sort, and she died. She died of shock. So the Yitzhahar is telling her a story. You know, your husband took um, Yitzhak to get slaughtered on the Mizbeach. She dies. And then it's before she he gets a chance to finish the rest. Now, he the Satan, the, the, the bad guy, the evil guy, the evil, um, terrible person, our nemesis, had a very clear motive here to try to nail, try to um, get Avram um, to get Avram to, to rethink and rehash his decisions. But before we, we talk about that, let's just discuss the basic idea. The basic idea of tests. We, we, that's what, what I titled the, the title of this week's partial class, is discussing tests. God tests us. He tests us, everyday people, and he tests big people, the righteous people, um, even even more. And we see the most righteous people in the world, our patriarchs, they got more tests than we can ever imagine. More tests. And God is keep on testing them, testing them, testing them, and always busy testing them. What's the whole, why, why, why can't, why doesn't God leave them alone? You know what I mean? Avram Avinu, Abraham was the only guy in the whole world that recognized God. He was the first person to understand God. Everyone else was perhaps all his students recognized God, but they were all just because of him. The whole idea of God's recognition in this world all comes from who? It comes from Avram Avinu. You know what I mean? Why don't you just leave him alone? Let him be. He's your, he's your one guy who's on your team, so to speak. The whole generation was all on the other team. And the one person on your team, you're just busy bothering him all day and all night. Busy bothering him. Seems so so backwards, so cruel. It doesn't make any sense, right? 
So I don't, I don't think I have to make the question stronger. I think it's pretty strong as it is. So that's the first question. The first question is just why is Hashem busy repeating the tests on the righteous people and perhaps even more, the more righteous the person is, it almost seems like the more tests Hashem puts him through. And then, pardon me? They're gifts. Very good. That's precisely what we're going to talk about. Exactly how to understand it. And and we're going to try to expound on it and make it, hopefully we're going to try to bring it down to earth and maybe we're going to hopefully get something out of this. Get something practical out of this. The other side of the coin is Hashem always seems to run away when he's testing us. Sometimes we see Hashem. Hashem is very clear. We see his 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 beautiful hashkacha uh, pratis, they call it, divine providence. And somehow when we're in the middle of a test, Hashem miraculously always goes missing, always disappears. And we always feel like we're on our own. We're looking up to Hashem. We say, Hashem, could you please give us a sign? Show us the right way. Always missing. Why is that? Why is it always during a test? Hashem always disappears. And then obviously the next question would be not really a question, but how do we get through these tests? What is it? What do we do? What is the tool that we need to get through all all of life's tests? What tools can we use to get through life's tests? Go for it. How can some entity that is omnipresent? run away oh that's a very good question no i don't mean it literally understand hiding your face is that what you're referring to yeah i don't mean it literally i mean i mean that when we want to see hashem we we see we look up to hashem and say hashem god give us a sign i want to see show me the way show me the proper decision i have complete, I am I am in complete disarray. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know where to go. And then Hashem, you expect Hashem to answer you, to show you a sign, right? And he does. I'm, I'm, editing, he does. Uh, I'm editing a Holocaust testimony by a very observant woman and, and talks about Hashem through her entire experience. She hmm. says it was emuna, it was faith that sustained her. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. So then next week, I'm, I'm going to ask you to prepare a partial class. <laughs> and I'm going to... Beautiful. That's precisely what we're going to talk about. Precisely what we're going to talk about. And that is the answer to the question. But I'm going to just touch upon a few points before I get to the to the crux of the issue. So I, I, I'm going to try to stay clear of any personal stories of anyone here just or anything trying to make it, again, trying to keep it based on the parsha. You read, like Dan mentioned, you read Holocaust Holocaust memoirs, whatever they're called. You will see um, like opposite sides of the spectrum. On one side, and I'm trying not to touch on anyone's toes over here, but on the one hand, you'll see people who keep on repeating how they they see Hashem, they see God, they see God, and they see God, and that's how we got through the Holocaust, and clear, clear, clear. And on the other side, we see other people who, after the Holocaust, what happened? I can't believe in God anymore. And God becomes the most complicated thing in their life. And I'm not going to answer that question, but one thing we do see is that 
the same story or the same general backdrop can definitely have completely opposing reactions by different people. It's not a contradiction whatsoever. We see that the same exact story, the same tragedies, give, give or take, more or less, can have completely opposite reactions by different people. That's one thing we definitely can learn out, out of the reactions of different people from the Holocaust without going into any specific details. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. We definitely see different people react in completely opposite ways. So back to the back to back to the power shop, like this. The morale asks a question, which is going to be the first premise of the first basic stepping stone of our answer. The morale asks like this: Why does Hashem test us? What is it that Hashem doesn't know? How do we? Why do we? We test people. We test. Let's say you have a a, a student in in college, university, high school, or whatever it may be. We give him a test. The general idea is we want to test his knowledge. We want to see how well right, you want to, a guy is taking a bar or he's taking a CPA or whatever it may be. Right? You got to know the material in order to, to pass, in order to be a professional. You want to go past medical school. Everything has exams. But God, God knows everything. God knows everything, top to bottom, everything in the deepest recesses of your of your heart, of your mind. He knows everything. So what is he testing us for? What exactly does he want from us? Clearly not knowledge. Clearly he's not seeing where we're holding in life because he knows that already. So He wants potential. He wants our poti- He wants us to work up to, to more than we think we can be. That, that is a very good answer. I, I want to just say it. In a little bit of a by happening way. by 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 requesting, you know, asking for his help. Yes, yes, yes. In, in essence, what you're saying is the right answer. I just want to bring it out in a in a more in a more how do you say it in a more in a deeper way, like this. When I was a child, for example, they had this game called called it's called a mercy fight. I'm sure. I'm sure you're not. You guys may be a little bit older than me. I'm. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't invented in the 1990s. So you right. You go one hand and they squeeze back and forth, and the guy who pushes hard. Right. So now, if you ever tried playing the game and the other person doesn't play, he just puts his hand limp. So you you can't play. There's no way to play. You can't. I mean, eventually you could crack a guy's arm and hurt him, but there's really no way to hurt the person because there's no pushback. There's no resistance. And it's the same thing with a handshake. If he tries to squeeze someone's hand and he leaves his hand limp, mm-hmm. you can't squeeze. There's nothing to squeeze. You, can, you cannot put in the effort without resistance. In the same way, if a person is, is, is trying to do, do a exercise or workout, lift weights, and the guy is, is ripped and he's strong and he's he could bench uh, 300 pounds or whatever it may be. And then you put him on a, on a, on a bench with, with 50 pounds. So he's, he's, he cannot, there's no way he can possibly use more than whatever it is, 10% of his muscles. Right? He could try to run around in circles with the, with the bar up and down. Who knows what, if his muscles are capable of lifting 300 pounds, He's not using, not utilizing his muscles. He's just not doing that. He's not utilizing the potential that 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 are inside his muscles. 
So the same thing is in essence is true in, in, in spirituality, which means that in order to bring out the full force, the full potential of a, of a person's abilities, there needs to be resistance and there needs to be pushback. And, uh, and just using, I'm giving, I, I want to give you another analogy, which is, which is something that I do not profess to have too much knowledge in, but I, I did it. I remember when I, right in the beginning of COVID, the, the, the stock market completely crashed. And I remember listening to a guy, a, a big fancy uh, professional uh, um, um, manager, money manager. And he was giving a whole speech about the three different types of, of, uh, um, of market comebacks that could possibly happen. One was a, a W shape, which means that the market crashes like this. And then it's a little wiggly until it gets back to where it's supposed to be. That was one way. The other one was a, a V, which would means the crash. And then it would go back to the, it get back to where it was started. And then the third um, idea he had, which at the time I thought was the most wacky, strange thing in the world, was called a Nike check, which means that it crashes. And then it actually gets back higher and actually grows. The market actually grows higher than it, to than it started before. And the guy who was interviewing said, come on, Nike check. We're in the middle of COVID here. The world is a disaster and the whole thing. And, and, and he, and this is not hindsight 2020. This is, this is then, this is in when it was still on the bottom. And he said something fascinating. He said like this, and I'm not going to try to quote him and don't, don't quote me on, on this for, for your uh, for your portfolios, I'm just using this as an analogy. He says like this: when when the markets crash and all the companies are in 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 total darkness of what's going to be in the future, the companies are forced to buckle down and have um, whatever the I don't know all the fancy jargons, all the fancy words are, but the companies now take every single penny. And they don't take anything for granted. And they assess every penny and they reevaluate all their spending and all their hiring and all the jobs and everything. And everything gets put under the microscope and everything gets reassessed. And sometimes, he says, right, there's three possibilities he was giving. But one possibility, a very, very strong possibility, is that the companies actually grow from the experience, which means that they have to reassess all the silly things that they were doing. The markets are doing so well, the companies are doing great. You're able to get away with a lot of stuff that aren't necessarily, um, whatever you want to call it, fiscally uh, um, smart or savvy, but you're able to get away with it because anyways, you have you have growth and anyways, you have, you're in the green. But once you start really thinking, you have to reassess every little detail. Every single thing gets under the microscope. And the way this money manager said it was that sometimes when you have um, real issues, you have things that, that come and crash the whole market. And actually, the markets come out stronger in the long run. And that, in essence, is what we're talking about here, which means that although we don't ask for tests and we don't, we don't want tests, but when we when we come out on the right side of the test, when we actually take the test and we pass the test, we actually grow stronger. We actually have more we use we're using more of our potential. It's like the famous uh, joke a uh, famous line that they, they say, whatever doesn't kill you 
makes you stronger. That's the, 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 I don't know. I don't know if they have that in America. In Canada, it was a big <laughs> line. It could be it's an American line. Canada, everything's stolen from America. So, but the line goes, whatever, whatever doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. That was the, that's the idea. So, this is the idea, says the Maharal. This is the idea of Hashem testing us. Hashem wants to bring us to our potential, to bring us to our fullest. Okay, very good. What if we fail, Rabbi, what if we fail the test? Right. So what that's if we fail the test, then do we have enough strength to try it again? So obviously that's that's the, the, the ultimate um the ultimate um the ultimate challenge of life is to is to be able to to dust yourself off and get up and, and keep right. on, keep on going. That is that is the ultimate test in life. And we're not gonna go there because that's not really our topic, but that is definitely the ultimate test in life. How we react to failure and and being that's um, a test failing. as well. Yeah, that's a test as well as not doing it. Yes. That's still a test. Yes, failing does not make you into a failure. Every single businessman can tell you that. Every person who's a who is a uh He's a salesman. Can tell you that. You can ask. I don't know if anyone here's a salesman. You can ask Arthur. Arthur Noss is a is a very very fine salesman of many many years, and he will tell you more than anyone else. He will tell you that in sales, right? You have just failure and failure and failure, and you have nine out of ten people slam the door on you, and the one guy gives you the big big big. Big, big deal. And that's how sales works. That's what a salesman is. And in essence, that's the key to life, right? I fail. If I fail, it doesn't make me into a failure. It's part of life. Part of life is failing. And it's like the hockey slogan. I grew up, I remember the, I don't remember it actually, but something along these lines, right? You, 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 I forgot it already. You skate, you skate, you glide. You fall, you get up, you skate, you glide. You fall, you get up, you skate, you glide. Something along those lines. Basically, it's part of the part of life. Part of the part of the 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 rhyme and, and rhythm of life is falling and getting up. And that's really the 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 classic um, um, classic uh, Torah. Um, what is it called again? Sheva Yipal, Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vakam. Seven times a righteous person falls mm-hmm. and gets up. And the Hasidim say the, the regular interpretation of it is is people who are people fall a lot and they get up and that's okay. But the Hasidim they translate it Sheva Yibal, seven times you fall. Sadik. What does a righteous person do? He become, he gets up. So a regular person he falls and then he stays down. He he mm-hmm. loses hope and he gives up. A righteous person, he gets up afterwards. He has the ability to understand that falling is part of life and he gets up afterwards. Okay. Let's move on. Let's continue. And let's move on now. And let's talk about the next idea over here. There's a famous, I don't know if it's a famous story, but it's a story that I've heard many times about a Mossad guy who's a Mossad agent who got captured. The story um, may, may have happened once, twice, a thousand times. But it's a story that happened that there was a Mossad guy, a Mossad operative that got captured by the enemy. And he's getting tortured and tortured and tortured to reveal the secrets, the, the big secrets of the Israeli operations. And he's getting beaten back and forth, the whole thing. And he doesn't reveal anything. He stays, stays strong. Till one day, 
he sees whatever maybe some sort of device in the in the wings over there that he understood was gonna be used to really torture him to death. And he was gonna, if he wasn't gonna give the secrets, boom, he was gonna die. And in his heart, he made up that he's not ready to die. He's not ready to die. He's gonna have to give him some secrets. And as sad as it sounds, he's about to give up some of Israel's top secrets. Or maybe not top secrets, whatever his secrets he knew. And all of a sudden, he's listening into the guards, and somehow, some why, he hears one of the guards whispering to the other guard in Hebrew instead of in Arabic. And right then and there, he just realized the connection. He realized that what happened was he wasn't actually captured, as fascinating as it sounds. He wasn't actually captured by the enemy. He realized that he was captured by the Mossad, who was testing his, um, his, uh, his, um, what do you call it again? Testing to see if he was going to be, if he was going to give give up the secrets. It was testing his resolve. They were actually oh. testing his resolve. The Mossad themselves, loyalty. they were testing his loyalty. They wanted to see if he was going to be loyal and he's going to give up secrets. And right oh. then and there, what did he do? What the guy's coming with his big machine and they're about to clobber him and kill him. And he didn't give up any secrets because he knew there were Israelis. And then they tell him, wow, this was the final test. You passed the test. You're good to go. You have your results. You are loyal and awesome. Okay, amazing story. Okay? So, with this story, we can understand something beautiful. The next question we had was, why does Hashem always hide? Why is He always hidden in times of test? After we, we just shared the story of the Mossad agent, the answer to that question is pretty simple. The answer to that question is, well, as soon as this Mossad operative saw and recognized that it wasn't the enemy, rather it was his own friends, there was no test anymore. He, he, he realized right away he was never going to give up the secrets. Why would he do that? It, it, was, it was over. In fact, not only did he use that as a, as a tool to, to pass the test, in essence, he didn't even pass the test. He really failed the test because he already, he already was told himself that he was willing to give up the secrets. And the only reason why he didn't give up the secrets was because he knew that he wasn't being tested. He knew that it was, it was Israeli, Israelis there. So in essence, he failed the test, really. So imagine if we knew every single day and, and we go out and we're about to go on a beautiful road trip to, 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 to Chicago, to, to New York, and within 30 seconds from your house, boom, you get into a nice car accident and you know your car is total. You have a, 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 a three kids in the back. I don't know about you guys. You have three grandkids in the back, maybe. And you have... Uh, uh, 10 suitcases and your whole thing and you're literally 30 seconds out of your house. Boom. Destroyed. Your whole car is gone. Your whole trip is right. And that's a clear test from Hashem. And sometimes those tests are, are in some ways easier to pass because you look at it and you're like, Hashem or, or you're, you're testing me now. I, I know that. So, uh, I mean, some hopefully, some sometimes we could take that and say, 
I see that. I see the test so clear to me. There's no way around it. But sometimes when you come home from work or or and you and you're in a bad mood and you and your wife or maybe the other way, your wife forgot to make supper or you you you're in a in a bad mood and your husband comes home and and or whatever maybe or or someone's in a grumpy mood and then you you just want to say something that that's hurtful. That's not as obvious. Sometimes that's those are much. Hashem doesn't, doesn't doesn't no one's jumping out and saying red flag here's a test okay if every single time Hashem popped out a red flag here's a test then it would be very easy right in essence really we know in essence that everything in life is a test but the reality is that that Hashem hides himself because if he's not hidden it wouldn't be a test. Imagine if you had right you had the, the some some high official the president or the, the 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 I don't know the, the king of England, not the queen of England anymore. The king of England is just coming to your house. So then, and, and of course you would act in your finest behavior. Why wouldn't you? You see, the president is in front of you. Why? How? 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 How can you not? So the the, the key of the test is that obviously Hashem has to hide himself. So that we so that we find him. Yes, but sometimes he, he doesn't he doesn't reveal himself even after it's over. And that's really in essence what happened in, in this week's parish. And we're gonna get there in a moment. And I just want to share with you two stories. One story is 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 it goes as follows. There's once a, a, a girl who who was from an irreligious family and she becomes from she becomes observant, she becomes religious, she's keeping Chavez. And her father has a store. And she's very nervous that her parents are going to kick her out of the house because she became religious. So she hides the fact that she's religious from her parents. So her father needs to go out of town. Her father tells her, you please man the store. So this teenager, teenage girl, doesn't want to tell her father anything. So she goes to this door. She promises herself that she's not going to be Michal Shabbos. She's not going to desecrate the Shabbos. But she's in a big uh, conundrum. She doesn't know what to do because she has to man the store. So she's sitting by the counter, by the checkout counter, and she prays to Hashem, Hashem, please help me. No one should walk into the store today. Okay? And lo and behold, Hashem is nice to her. Hashem answers her tefillah. Hashem answers her prayer. No one walks into this door until until 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, someone walks into this door and says, can I please buy a, um, whatever, whatever, make it up. Uh, let's just make up the store. It was a grocery store. So she comes, he wants to buy a, a package of, I don't know, make, uh, whatever, something. He wants to buy something. Okay. Um, so the guy, the, the girl says, um, I don't know. No, I don't know. It's not for sale. So the guy says, um, no, no, I, I, excuse me, you have a store open. I, I would like to buy it. Please tell it to me. So the guy, so the, the girl says, fine, $10. And this thing was like a dollar item, $10. So the guy says, you're a crazy girl. What's the matter with you? And storms out of the store and says, I'm going to buy it somewhere else. Okay. The guy comes back 10 minutes later and says, I don't know. I couldn't find it. It was. I need it. I need it from your store. Can I please buy it? For, I'll buy it for ten dollars. The girl says, "Nope. Now it costs twenty. <laughs> oh, you're, you're insane. You're crazy. What's the matter with you? Get out of here. 
so, so the 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 guy says the the guy says uh the guy says the guy said the guy leaves and then he comes back after a few minutes he guy comes back after a few minutes and says i'm willing to have it back i could have found it in ross and of course as you can imagine the guy the girl says nah, 50 bucks 50 bucks now and it goes back and forth a few more times finally the guy is totally fed up with her and he says i'm not coming back to your store again what's the matter with you so she says okay fine Little does this guy know that she's trying to keep Shabbos. She doesn't want to sell them. Anyways, it's like 10 minutes before Shabbos is over. So the sun's already setting. And the guy comes back and says, I want to buy it. And the girl says, 200 bucks. And the guy says, yeah, do you mind? And the girl says, well, that's what it costs now. And the guy says, fine, I'm paying for it. And he looks, she looks at her watch. You know what? In 20 minutes, in 20 minutes, I could sell it to you. 200 bucks. Okay. So the guy waits 20 minutes. 200 bucks later, he gets his, uh, he, he, he wants he wants to get his item. And the girl says, actually, now, Shabbos is over. You could have it for a dollar. Shabbos is over. You could have it for a dollar. The whole thing was a hoax. I was just, I was just, I was just messing around with you. A dollar. And the guy says, what? For your Shabbos? Anyways, the guy says, no, no, no. I want to buy it for $200. For you, that you were willing to keep Shabbos, $200. And she takes the $200. Her father comes home and she says, here's $200. I made $200 because I kept Shabbos. And he gave it to her father. And that happy, happy, the happy, the they lived happily ever after. The father became firm or not. I don't know the rest of the story. But the punchline of the story is that Shabbos, the girl kept Shabbos, and it was so beautiful, wonderful, happy ending. Okay? But now I want to share with you another story. There's a famous story shared by the Rosina Rabbah, and he's a famous story he used to share over. It was this one guy who was a businessman. He sold fur, and in his fur business, he had a certain um, stringency, a certain custom, where he did not sell anything. He did not do any business before he prayed in the morning. So every morning before he prayed, before he dove on chakras, he did not do any business. That was his custom. One day, he a guy comes over to him before business, before the before shakras, wants to buy a crazy amount of, of fur. Basically, would be able to clear out his entire warehouse of fur in one shot, just like that. Whatever it was, millions of dollars worth of fur, just like that. And he smiled and he said, I'm sorry, they're not for sale. Come back to me in two hours. I will be able to sell them to you after shakras. And the guy said, in two hours, I'm going to go to your competition and I'll get it there. And he says, I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't sell it to you until after Shachris. Please, I feel bad. Feel free to go somewhere else if you need it desperately. Otherwise, in two hours, I would be glad to sell it to you. Anyways, the guy goes to the competition. He buys it from the competition. And, and that's the end of the story. Says the Rosina Rebbe, that, that sometimes Hashem tests us and, and there's no happy ending. It, it just, it's just a hard test. And the tests sometimes are hard. Sometimes Hashem gives us a happy ending, like the girl in the story before. 
and sometimes and sometimes sometimes there's no happy ending sometimes it's just life is rough sometimes sometimes life is rough and it's a bitter pill to swallow it's not always easy to say it but not every time does a story have a happy ending that's that's what that's what fairy tales are for sometimes life is hard and and this this businessman he 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 lost out and in essence in essence the tests in essence the theme of all of Avramavinu's tests, the common thread that all of the tests share, each test had their own specific test, or there's one common thread that they all had, which is they all open a window to question. They all open the opportunity for us or for Avram or for anyone to question God. Avramavinu had all the questions in the world. He had all of the the any all the excuses in the book he had. Avram Avinu, right? He he gets told he has to go there to throw run away, and as soon as he gets there, there's a famine, and he has to leave. Right? He looks up to God and says, "God, why me? What, what's going on here? What's the matter?" And what happens? He doesn't question Hashem. That's how he passed his test. The passing the test is more than just just passing the test of going, of leaving, passing the test is not questioning God. And Avram Avinu passed these tests with flying colors. And we see there's a common theme. All the tests are recurring. They all come one after the next, and they all flow into each other. And each test, as soon as he goes to Mitzrayim, he goes to Egypt, what happens? His wife gets taken away from him. Why me? Why me? I, I'm your guy. Why me? He doesn't ask that question. He stays strong. This is what we call emunah pshuda, staying strong in our belief that Hashem runs the world and Hashem knows what He's doing and trying our best not to question Hashem. Sometimes it's very, very, very difficult. Sometimes we're not perfect, obviously, but the idea is that we can. We have to try to understand that Hashem runs the world and Hashem knows what He's doing. And we have to understand that that is in essence what the test is. The test is to see if we are going to question God, to see where is our, how are we going to react? What is our reaction going to be? And in fact, if you look in the parsha, really, the whole story of the, of, 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 of Sarah dying from the Akedah is also the same thing. He comes back from the Akedah and right away Sarah dies. He's again, the same thing. Why me? I just sacrificed. I almost, I was willing to sacrifice my child for you. Right away, you have to take away my wife. Why, why me? What's going on here? Why do, and he doesn't ask these questions. Right away, he moves on. He keeps on going. He says, Hashem, you're in control. You are the boss. And that is in essence, the answer. That is the, that is passing the test. Is the, the, the less we challenge Hashem, the less we we we, we question Hashem, the, the the greater score we get on the test. The less we challenge Hashem, the more we just say, take a step back and say, I do not understand, but sometimes I have to understand that I do not understand. I won't understand. That is the reaction that Hashem is looking for. That is the reaction that Hashem wants from us. And in, in essence, I, I may have not answered the original question of, of trying to make it make it easy. Why does Hashem give tests? And the answer is because Hashem loves us. And of course, Hashem does love us. 
and 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 but but in essence, Hashem is trying to 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 basically bring out our emuna, trying to see to show us how strong we can be in our emuna, in our belief in Hashem. Try to bring out our strong emuna that we all have deep, deep, deep inside of us. Try to bring it out to the forefront for us to be able to respond to, to every test we get and say, Hashem is in control. Hashem is in control. Hashem is in control. And that's it. And that's not easy, but that is the key. That is the key to understand that Hashem is in control. And that is what we see from Avram Avinu. That is what we see from Avram. The other last Nakuda, this last point that we, we see from this whole saga over here with, with Sarah is really the, 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 all these different questions that everyone asks in the in the in the first verse or the second verse of the of the of the parsha, right? We see in the in the second verse, the last word says, "Vilav Kaisa and 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 Avram Avinu cried." So the Balturim asks, "Why does there a small cuff in the word in the letter? The letter cuff is small, so the 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 it's a little mini letter." So the Balturim tells us that Balturim is one of the commentaries tells us. The reason why he cried is because the the Sarah was an older woman, 127 years old. She lived a full life. He didn't uh, cry too much. She lived a very full life, like an old person who dies at a ripe old age with a happy, healthy life, and therefore he didn't cry. Okay. Well, if that was true, that, that's why he didn't cry. If that's true, then that should be the status quo. That should be the the first step is that people don't cry when someone lives at a ripe old age. Why would the Torah have to go out of its way to make a small cuff to show us that? If she, if perhaps if he cried a lot, and that would be out of character, Torah should write a big cuff. But if it's not out of character, it seems that this is the regular way of life. Whether whether this is the regular way of life, then why does the Torah go out of its way to make a small letter? It seems to me that would be the normal way the normal practice. So the answer is, um, I don't remember, I can't remember who, who I, I saw this from, but I, I didn't I didn't make this up. I can't remember who I saw it from. I think it was with Palm, but it could be with someone else. I don't want to misquote anyone. He says as follows. He says that the whole story and I just, I just want to add, I'm sorry, I, I skipped one question. I want to add one more question, which is that the Torah says like this, I'll read it in English again. Sarah's lifetime was 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. The years of Sarah's life, the Torah adds in a second time. Sarah's lifetime was 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. That should be the end of the verse. But the verse continues, the years of Sarah's life. Why does the Torah repeat that? So, so again, the, the Mepharshim tell us this that really this was the moment that Sarah was supposed to die. Sarah was supposed to die at 127 years on the dot, just on the, at the moment she died, that was the right time for her to die. That was the right time. The whole story with the Satan, right, the evil guy coming and giving her a heart attack or giving her a shock attack. That was basically the Satan taking an opportune moment 
and using it to his benefit. It was a whole game of smoke and mirrors. It was a scam. It was a sham. It was a whole fake. She was supposed to die anyways. The Sultan manipulated it in order so that Avram Avinu should have an additional test. So he should doubt. He should say, wow, I just almost sacrificed my, my, my son and that caused my wife's death. And he should doubt it. He should second guess himself. Second guess his decision. His decision of making this tremendous sacrifice really costs his wife his life, her life. The answer is no. Avram Avinu saw and the Pasuk tells us very clearly this was when she was supposed to die anyways. The rest of it was the hoax from the Yitzhahara. The Satan really just totally messed the whole thing up, put a whole beautiful um, 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 a whole little skitter out just so he should have to have the, 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 the test of second-guessing himself, of saying, did I really do the right thing? But really she was supposed to die anyways. And that's why the Torah tells an extra three words, Shnei Chayezar. No, 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 no. She was supposed to die anyways. The Malcham of us came and, and killed her, so to speak, and she died because of the news. But really, it's not true. Really, she was supposed to die anyways. And Avram saw through the ruse. He saw through it. And that's why he cried little. The Torah is telling us Avram could have cried a lot. He could have been crying and crying and crying. Why? Not from sorrow, not from 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 the pain, he was could have cried from remorse. The fact that he caused his wife to die, he had that, that, that he could have made that mistake of feeling pain and thinking that he was the one feeling guilty. Torah is telling us, no, 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 small cough, small cough. He understood the message. Really, this was supposed to, she was supposed to die anyways. It's not that she, he cried less than he was supposed to cry for the pain of the fact that he was missing his wife. That wasn't the issue. The, the idea the Torah is trying to tell us that he did not cry more than he was supposed to. He did not make the mistake in thinking that he was the one who caused his wife's death. That is a lot of times another, so to speak, we call it a trick, or maybe not a trick, we call it a tool of how to get through life's tests. It's when we look at a test and we look at a, a troubling time, we have to sometimes move away, move away all the red herrings, move away all of the, the, the smoke and mirrors and try to see what is the truth here and what is this, the Yetzirah trying to get us. Where is, where, when we see a test, we're, we're, I have to just try to stay laser focused on my mission. What is my mission? What is my mission now, here, right now in this moment, Right here in this place, what is my mission now? A lot of peripheral stuff going on, a lot of stuff, a lot of smoke flowing around, a lot of lights and sirens going on, all this stuff, all distractions. They feel real to us. They feel real. And it makes life so difficult. And it makes the test so difficult for us. But the key, which is not necessarily easy to do, but the key is to try to separate all that stuff, all those clouds, all that stuff, all the cloudiness, try to stay laser focused and try to see where is my mission right here, right now, in this moment, I have a mission, try to stick to the mission, try to not get lost in all the, all the background, background noise. Okay.